It is good to be here today. I thank the Lord for this church. Now, there's a little note in the bulletin about who I am, but um, we've been members here for now two years, and I thank the Lord for your pastor, the staff. Then I thank the Lord for all the behind the people activities that take place, the, the unseen individuals. Uh, I thank the Lord for the worship band as they're here like two hours before this, two or three hours before this service to get ready. And it takes a lot to conduct a service where Christ is lifted up, and I thank the Lord for that. This is also a very good church, you know, a Christ-honoring church, which you can be very thankful for. Now, this morning, I'm going to be speaking on the message called This Same Jesus. We're in the Gospel of John and doing the series, and Eric asked if I would speak on feeding of the 5,000. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to open with me to John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. And I want to read this passage of Scripture, and I want to honor the Scriptures as we read it. So let's stand together as we read God's Word, a word of prayer, and then we'll begin to look at the truth found here. Reading beginning in verse number 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down with the disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. And when they had all enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had, had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And Jesus knew they were intent to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Our gracious, loving Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, we come with hearts that are totally dependent upon you, that we might truly hear and see what you have for us. I pray that your spirit would come upon this time as we open your word and that you will be honored and glorified. And my prayer for this congregation is that you will continue to bless this congregation. You would allow this place to be filled with all those who have a desire to know you and to walk with you, Lord, and to find you. 
I pray now in Jesus' name that you will be honored and glorified in all that is said and done in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. The miracle of feeding of the 5,000 almost 2,000 years ago. I want you to think about that 2,000 years ago. And actually it was around 15,000 if we include the women and children mentioned in Matthew's account is the only miracle that is actually found in all four Gospels indicating that it's very significant. Uh, If you would do a study of the New Testament, you'd find that there are actually 35 miracles that are closely um, depicted in a story form. There's many miracles Jesus performed because wherever he went, multitudes were healed. But of all the miracles that are actually mentioned in the Gospels, this is the only one that is found in all four Gospels. Now, in a time, it is so far removed from us, thinking of the 2,000 years. But as we look at this miracle this morning, I want you to think about the following statement throughout the entire message. I want you to think about the fact that this same Jesus The same yesterday, today, and forever. This same Jesus. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, many people will say, yes, that is true. Jesus is the same. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But do we really believe it? Do we really believe that Jesus fed 15,000 people, men, women, and children, with five loaves and two fish? Do we really believe that this same Jesus can meet our needs today? I think we'd all say, oh yes, but do we really believe it? Forty-eight years ago this month, I'm going to go back in history a little bit. Our passage goes back 2,000 years. I want to go back 48 years. 48 years ago this month, I had an encounter that I still wonder about to this day. It really began 13 years earlier when I invited Christ into my life at the age of five years old. Three years later, I went forward at a Billy Graham crusade, and I can remember one time my brother called me on the phone. He says, you won't believe this, Dan, but if you'll turn the TV on right now to this station, you'll see you walking forward at the Billy Graham crusade. One of those historic films. And sure enough, it was me (laughs) with my crew cut (laughs) and uh, just a young lad. Years followed in my life, church services, missions conferences, youth conferences, Sunday school, Bible clubs, vacation Bible school. And back then, Bible school, vacation Bible school lasted two weeks. We went two weeks. But it's interesting, as a teenager, all that began to fade. By the time I was in college, I actually had no time for God. I still believed in Him, but I had no time for church. I was going my own way, busy with the plans that I was making for my life. And on that October day in 1970, this is 48 years ago, I still think about it. 
I was walking across a campus at the University of Minnesota. I was an engineering student at the time. And I was by myself. I was alone. And I was walking. I really wasn't paying attention. Suddenly, an individual came up to me, looked me right in the face. I stopped in my tracks. He looked right in my eyes. And he said, what are you going to do with Jesus? And he walked away. I was stunned. I was going to try to give him a quick answer, and I turned around and there was nobody there. He was gone. And I've often thought about that encounter, but that encounter, though I was stunned at the time, began a process that literally changed my life and the direction of my life. Now, it took a whole other year, but a year later I was not the same person I was when I had that unusual encounter on the University of Minnesota campus. In our text this morning, we have different groups or different types of people that Jesus is dealing with. In your bulletin and the outline you have, you have the crowd, you have the disciples, you have the boy. And one of the questions as I looked at this passage and thinking about my encounter, what would they do with Jesus? What would the crowd do with Jesus? What would the disciples do with Jesus? What would the boy do with Jesus? And then, of course, what did Jesus actually do is the last thing we see here. First of all, we have the crowd. In verses 1 and 2, we see that sometime after the healing at the pool, uh, there was a time, passage of time, and Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. And there was a great crowd of people that followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Now we ask the question, you know, I was asked, what are you going to do with Jesus? And I come to the crowd here and I think to myself, what did the crowd do with Jesus? We're told here in the text that they followed him. But why did they follow him? They followed him because he healed the sick. It's interesting, in Matthew's account of this, he said he had compassion on them and healed the sick. You know, God's heart hasn't changed. He still has a desire to love people and to love the masses and, and to reach them. And what we see here is the compassion of Christ, but the crowd was following him because he had healed the sick. And I know there's people that sometimes if they think, well, if I just come to church and, and, and God heals me, then everything will be okay. There's times, though, that that doesn't happen and are, we're tested. But what did the crowd do about Jesus after they had seen the miracles? It says they followed him because he, they saw the signs that he healed the sick. But what did the crowd do about Jesus? We're told in verse 26 that they wanted more bread. You know, Jesus feeds them, feeds the 5,000, feeds the 15,000, and the next day, just the next day, what did they want? They wanted more bread, it says in verse 26. In verse 30, he said they wanted more signs. They wanted more proof about Jesus. In verse 41, it actually says they grumbled about Jesus because he claimed to be the bread that came down from heaven. You know, it's interesting about the crowd, about the masses. Uh, no matter what you say to some people, no matter what they see, 
they really never embrace who Jesus is. They really never do anything with Jesus unless they can get something from him. Jesus said to the crowd, but as I told you, and this is in verse 36, he says, I've told you, have seen me, but still you do not believe. It's interesting, Thomas, the doubting Thomas, after the resurrection, said, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and I, I, I see the resurrected Jesus, I, I won't believe. And we're told that he saw and believed, but Jesus also added this, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that goes for us today. We have to believe in Jesus even though we don't see him, but he's still working miracles. Even today when people sometimes experience a miracle in their life, though, it doesn't mean that they will believe. But Jesus still loves people and still will reach out to them and will still touch them and try to draw them to himself. I remember one experience that relates to this about people not always even responding to the miracles as we see with the crowd. You know, they follow Jesus because he healed them, but the next day they literally began to turn on him and they wanted to see more signs and more miracles. A number of years ago, I was, got a telephone call and said, Pastor, you have to come immediately. And they gave me an individual's name. They've been in a terrible bike accident and they're in the emergency room and, and they're unconscious and it, it, they just are in a very difficult position. And it appears they're going to have to lifeline this person because they don't know if they're going to make it. So I raced down to the emergency room. I got there just in time and I went in and prayed for this individual that God would bring a healing touch. Then they wheeled them out onto the platform and onto the helicopter on the lifeline and, and it took off to go to the trauma center. Something amazing happened. On the way, the person woke up and by the time they got to the trauma center, they couldn't find any injuries. Now, what's most amazing about this story is I began to share with somebody how God graciously had touched this person and healed them in spite of the traumatic accident they had been in. And this person, who actually was in the church, said to me, Pastor, I guess they really weren't hurt. The crowd. They were following Jesus because he was healing the sick. When it really came down to it, they really didn't believe. They didn't believe that, that this same Jesus that was able to feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes, actually 15,000, is the same Jesus today that can touch and heal people. And you'll find that in your walk. But it's interesting to me, God still loves people and he will still perform miracles on people as we pray for them and ask God to touch them. But it doesn't always mean that people will respond in faith or even understand what has taken place. I can remember in my own life, as I've shared stories of how God has worked in my life, people look at me and they, it's almost like the Apostle Paul when he was on trial, and, and they basically said, you're out of your mind, Paul. How can you believe this kind of stuff? And sometimes today, when we talk about what Jesus can still do, people will look at you and say, what are you talking about? They want it, 
but they really don't want Jesus. That question, what will you do with Jesus? What did the crowd do with Jesus? I believe there are probably some that responded sincerely. But the Bible actually tells us, and Jesus knew their heart. You have seen me, and still you do not believe. They really did not believe who Jesus was and what he was capable of doing, that he was capable of um, changing their lives. Now, the next group we have is the disciples, verse 3. It says this group was following him, and he went up on the mountain, and um, it said sat down as, with his disciples. Now, we need to ask the same question. What did the disciples do with Jesus? Now, I'm going to make a side note here. It says the disciples, usually when we think of the disciples, we think of 12. Uh, it could be more than that. Back in Luke chapter 10, we know that Jesus sent out 72 disciples. And they came back and reported to him. So there might have been more disciples here than just 12. And that would make sense to feed 15,000 people. He would have had more disciples. But what's interesting is, I'm not going to go into the whole passage. Just, um, there's so much material here. It's unbelievable. We could talk all afternoon on John chapter 6. But we know that later on, that when Jesus began to explain what the miracle really was all about, that he was the bread of life, we're told here in chapter 6 later on that on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? And the teaching about Jesus are hard and not everybody can accept them. So what did the disciples do with Jesus? We know that 12 of them remained faithful to him, but many, we are told in this passage, left him. So don't be surprised sometimes when people, they come to church for a while, then they leave because the teaching becomes too hard for them. They can't come in and press into uh, walking with Christ in obedience. So what did the disciples do with Jesus? Actually, it says in our text here in chapter 3, the disciples sat down. Jesus was their teacher. We're told in chapter and verse 4 that it was the Jewish Passover, the festival was near. Now, that's a significant event, and I'm just going to add this. Uh, we could do a, a message on this well and the Passovers, but this particular mention of the Jewish Passover tells us that a year from now, Jesus would be in Jerusalem, be betrayed, crucified, buried, and the resurrection would take place. So we have a time frame here when the feeding of the 5,000 took place, actually one year before those events that later are revealed to us in the Gospel of John. But he sat down and began to teach them. Um, and Jesus was about to teach them a great lesson about faith. You guys like to learn about faith? That's not an easy lesson to learn. Faith is not an easy lesson to learn. But Jesus was going to teach him a great lesson about faith, that nothing is impossible with God. And one of the things I've learned is if we have a hard time believing who Jesus is, we will really struggle with the truth that nothing is impossible with God. And I believe that. Nothing is impossible with God. But that truth and that belief has come with many hard knocks in life. Here in John 
chapter 6, verse 5, we see that this lesson in faith, Jesus had sat down with them, but now he was going to begin to teach them this lesson of faith. It says, and when he looked up, he saw the crowd coming towards him, and he said to Philip, where shall we buy food for these people to eat? Verse 6, he asked this only to test him. By the way, if you are a Christian and you want to grow in your faith, you will be tested. You will go through times when you say, where is God? I don't know where he is. Why am I going through this? But if you want to grow as a believer in Christ, you will go through times of testing. So it's interesting, we're told here, he asked him only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I want you to think about that. The Bible teaches us that all things work together for good to them that love God according to his purpose. In other words, God knows what he's going to do in your life so that you can grow in your faith. Do you believe that? I do. What are you going to do with Jesus? That was one of the first things when I was confronted with that after growing up in the church. So Jesus was going to test them. Has your faith ever been tested with difficulties? Maybe a loved one has died. Maybe someone's been ill. Maybe you've gone through financial difficulties. When things have not gone the way you've wanted, have you pressed into Jesus? Or have you walked away from Jesus? This was the test. And it's interesting, some of the disciples, when they understood what Jesus was actually teaching, were told in the passage, actually walked away from him. But Peter said, who are we going to go to? It's a great statement. Who are we going to go to? You know, when Jesus was talking to his disciples and then he was betrayed, he said, by the way, in this world, you're going to have some troubles. But be encouraged, I've overcome the world. Do we believe that? I know we're going to, I believe we have troubles in this world. <laughs> I think we can all agree with that. But are we encouraged because, no, Jesus is overcome and that he's with us? And how do we respond? I don't know about you, but I keep a prayer journal. Um, and there's something I write in it quite frequently. I actually wrote in it this morning. I wrote in it about being here this morning. And I always write or conclude or start with one statement. Jesus, I love you and trust you fully. That doesn't mean I understand everything, but Jesus, I love you and trust you fully. I know you'll never leave me nor forsake me. I know you will always be with me and, and you live within me and you walk with me and I can talk to you. Jesus, I love you and trust you fully. Nothing is impossible with God. And, and we see the disciples here as they go through this. Jesus is going to test them and Philip answered him, it would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. I guess they could go to McDonald's and get the dollar meal. I don't know takes all those wages. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter, here's a boy who has five barley loaves and two fish. How far will that go with so many? 
It's interesting, the disciples who were following Jesus and sitting at his feet really didn't believe. And if you go on and study this entire passage and what took place later, it says their hearts were hardened and they didn't even understand the miracle that had taken place. They had some more learning to do. Nothing is impossible with God. I go back to an incident in my life. We were in a, really a, church plant, a new church plant. We didn't have a lot of income. And our car broke down. When I say it broke down, it still, it still operated. It was a fairly new car. It was only about a year old. It would only go 30 miles an hour. So wherever I went, I had to go 30 miles an hour. I took it to the garage, and I asked them... Um, what it would take to fix it. You know, this is a fairly new car, and for some reason it wasn't covered. And he looked at me, and he said, well, he gave me a price, and I figured it out. It was about three months of my wages. It was going to take three months, one-third of everything I made, to fix this car. And I said, that can't be. That can't be. You know, I see these verses, nothing's impossible. And I began to pray, and I said, Lord, you know that we don't have any income to fix this car, and I need a car, you know, to minister and to visit people and to help people. And, um, sometimes you ever pray, and it seems like it falls on deaf ears. I didn't hear anything. <laughs> I kept driving my car 30 miles an hour around town. I was a pastor known as a 30-mile-an-hour. That's really good in Carmel if you live in Carmel. You don't have to worry about the police officers. You're always within the speed limit. Actually, a week passed, two weeks passed, and then actually some people became angry with me. and said, They said, Pastor, why don't you go get your car fixed? You're an embarrassment to us driving around town 30 miles an hour. I said, I'm just trusting the Lord that he'll show us what to do. Three weeks passed. Well, we had a new family come to the church, a very nice family. They're from North Carolina, and we invited them over for dinner. We said, we'd like to invite you over to dinner to get to know you, and they said to us, well, our daughter's here. We'd like her to come, and we also, we have a friend from North Carolina. Uh, we, you wouldn't mind, we'd bring him along because he's all by himself. And we said, sure, uh, bring him. So we're sitting at the table talking, and the conversation comes up about my car. It's not working. And this stranger looks at me and says, well, let me take a look at it. And I said, okay. And he tinkers around a little bit. He says, let's go take it for a test drive. And the next thing I knew, I was going down a country road at 80 miles an hour with this guy with his head out the window listening to my engine. <laughs> and I kept thinking to myself, I'm going to die. <laughs> it turned out that this friend who was just visiting this new family in the church was one of the lead mechanics for one of the NASCAR teams in North Carolina. <laughs> Only God. And after he stops, after I thought I was going to die, he says, I know what's wrong with it. I had to buy a piece for 88 cents. And he fixed the car... And I drove that car for 186,000 miles. 
Never really had many problems with it after that. And actually the odometer cable broke, and I don't know how many miles were on it when I got rid of it. Nothing is impossible with God. I was told it was going to take three months of my salary to get it fixed. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know if it had even been fixed. And God brought a miracle into our home for 88 cents. Nothing is impossible with God. He has not changed. The disciples, they had to be tested. They had to allow their faith to grow. And, and believe me, their faith did grow because they all became martyrs for Christ. They understood who Jesus was, and they followed them, followed him even to their death. Now in verse 9, we see the boy. What did the boy do with Jesus? He gave him everything he had. You know, what do we have? We give the Lord everything we have, and sometimes we think, well, that's enough, and I can remember in Sunday school when they talked about the little boy giving us five loaves and two fishes and you have to give everything you have. I think, oh yeah, I'll give Jesus everything I have. But as I got older and after I had that encounter, what you're going to do with Jesus, the one thing that came to me was Jesus said, I don't want your loaves and your fishes. I want you. That was a lot harder. Yes, as a little boy, it was easy to give things to Jesus. But as a young man with all my plans before me, Jesus said, I want you. Yes, you can give me your loaves, you can give me your fishes, but I want you. That's probably one of the most difficult things we go through in our society because we have so much. So what did Jesus do? We see the crowd, we see the disciples, we see the boy. What did Jesus do? We're told in verses 10 and 11 that he took the bread, he gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. Not just enough, but what they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. When they had all eaten, when they had all had enough to eat, he told his disciples to gather up the pieces that were left over. And I believe there was a reason for this. It's just, you know, I, I read some material and I said they didn't want any, Jesus didn't want to waste anything. That's true. But what he really wanted to do is he wanted to show the disciples that he was not only able to meet the need, but to do it abundantly above, over, and beyond what we asked. That's a principle found in the scriptures. When we pray, God is able to not only do what we ask, but do abundantly even more. And we see that here. Twelve baskets were filled. I, I still am amazed that the disciples, just a, a short time later, they didn't get it. Their hearts were still hard. Sometimes that's the way we are. And when I was on that campus, my heart was hard. I had grown up in the church. And I don't know what happened that day, or I still wonder about it, but the, the, the living God confronted me that I had to do something with Jesus that was more than just a superficial commitment. He wanted my life so I could touch people wherever I was. 
and I would learn to listen to him. And what's amazing is Jesus, what did he do? He fed the 5,000. There were 12 baskets left over, and Jesus has not changed in 2,000 years. 48 years ago, the same Jesus that fed those 5,000, he had me confronted. This same Jesus is here today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus is present with us. He's still able to heal the sick. He's still able to turn the water into wine. He's still able to cast out demons. But how does he do it? He does it through the body of Christ, you and I. He's in our midst. He works through us. And wherever we go as believers, we go. Christ goes with us. He's in us. And he is still able. Nothing is impossible with him. One of the things I've learned is in, in Christendom, whatever our experience is, we try to bring the Bible down to it. But what we need to do is to see what the Bible teaches and bring our experience up to it. We need to see that Jesus has not changed. He still works miracles. And I have a question right here in my notes. But do we believe this? Do we believe he still works miracles? I do. I have seen it and I have experienced it. And there's times when I've tried to wonder, well, God, where are you right now? But he has always been faithful to me. Let me share another illustration to you that what would Jesus do that he's, nothing's impossible with him. Jesse came to me. We were in this church plant and she comes to my office. It was in the home and she looks at me and says, honey, we have no food in the house. And I said, none? We didn't have a piece of bread. We didn't have any milk. We had nothing. We didn't even have any macaroni and cheese. We had zero. There was no food. And you say, how could that happen in America? It can. We had nothing. And she looked at me and said, what are we going to do? We had three children, three boys that were very hungry. And I said to her, honey, let me pray about it. Let me ask the Lord what he wants us to do. And as I began to pray, the Lord impressed upon me that he never lets the righteous go hungry or the, the, their children go begging. And I said, I believe this, Lord. And just as I said, Lord, I believe this, I believe your word, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, at four o'clock, you're going to get a telephone call inviting you out for dinner, accept the invitation. That is my provision for you today. That's what the Lord spoke to me. And so I went out to the kitchen. Now, can you imagine this? Jesse saying, what are we going to do? And I look at her, he said, you're going to get a telephone call at four o'clock answer it. You're going to be invited. We're going to be invited out for dinner. And that is going to be God's provision for us today. I'm sure, ladies, if your husband came to you and said that to you, you'd go, are you nuts? Exactly at four o'clock, the phone rang. A couple in the church said, we would like to have you over for dinner tonight. And Jesse said, we'd be glad to come. What was amazing is the next day I had a friend who was involved in the grocery business and he drove up in the driveway and he says, I know when these things expire, you know, we're supposed to throw them away, but they're really still good. He had a carload of food 
And that next day, our freezer and refrigerator completely filled with food. This same Jesus will meet our needs today. He met the needs of those people 2,000 years ago. He confronted me 48 years ago. He's provided over and over again for my family. Oh, that doesn't mean I haven't gone through difficulties. Remember, we're tested. But we have to press into Jesus. This same Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever, can still meet the need that you have today. I don't know what it is, but he still works miracles. He answers prayer. He heals the sick. Even in the face of death, he gives us comfort and encouragement. And I could go into a lot of stories about that, too, over my life. I've been doing this for a few years. I've seen a lot. You know, in my head, I keep, I keep thinking I'm young. You ever think that? I'm young. Then I get up in the morning and I go, no, I'm not. <laughs> but this same Jesus, he's with me today. He's with you today. He wants to meet your needs. And as we close the service this morning, I want you to know that I thank the Lord for the Alliance Church. I thank the Lord that you can call upon the elders to be anointed if you have a physical need. I thank the Lord that, that, that we're sending the gospel into all the world as a witness to all people because we know that when that is completed, Jesus will come. I thank the Lord that we have a fellowship where people really care about one another. But we also have a congregation and a church where the altar is always open, and if people have needs, there's someone here who will pray with you. And we know that nothing is impossible with God, and Jesus is still here working, and he wants to work in your life. What is your need today? Jesus can and will meet it. Now let me share just a little side on this message today. I had a message all ready to go, and at 10 o'clock last night, the Lord said, no, you got to change it. Because I believe there are individuals here today like I was when I was drifting away from God, and somebody needed to say, what are you going to do with Jesus? I believe there's people going through difficulties and we need to come to Jesus. He'll still meet that need. Oh, it may not be instantaneously like we see sometimes, but I believe he will meet that need. He will take care of you. And I believe with all my heart that as you come to him, he will bless you and he will care for you. Press into Jesus. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this miracle of feeding the 5,000. We thank you for the lessons that you were teaching the disciples. And we thank you, Lord, that you're here today and you're, you're willing and ready to the, meet the needs of your people. 
And I pray in Jesus' name that the one here today who needs you would come to you. They would call out to you and ask you for your help. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.